0: Welcome to the legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. But well, we're going to jump back into our sermon series called "Teach Us to Pray." How many of you so far you've been enjoying the sermon series? Teach us to pray. Teach us to A lot of people over here, they raise their hand. How about you guys on this side? Are you guys enjoying the sermon series, Teach Us to Pray? Man, I love prayer. I really do. I love prayer. I really, really love prayer, and I want to pray better. Anybody else in the room, you want to pray better? I want to pray more. I want to pray with more passion. I want to pray better. I want to pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus accepts and celebrates in heaven. How about you? You know, we know that to be a Christian means to be Christ-like. And if we're really, truly going to hold fast to that confession, that to be a Christian means to be Christ-like, then to be a Christian means to be a prayer warrior. Because Jesus prayed. You guys know that? Jesus communed with the Father, so much so that at times his disciples would find him after an all-nighter. Now, I don't know how often you guys pray all night long, but every time I read stories from the Bible about Jesus praying all night long, I always ask for an impartation of endurance to do some all-night praying. I haven't received it yet. <laughs> I like sleep. You know, Benny Hinn wrote that book, uh, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I like sleep so much, I'd like to write uh, Good Afternoon, Holy Spirit. I'm always asking the Lord for endurance to pray more. And as we've been in this series, I have been leaning in to the Lord concerning prayer. And I have a lot of thoughts to share with you guys today about that. Is that okay? You sure? Okay, so if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a moment. Matthew chapter 6. You can put your thumb in it because I'll get back to it in just a moment. But I want to start with the pilot passage of Luke chapter 11, verse 1, because that's where we're going to start every week in this series. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's just one verse of scripture. Nonetheless, it is extremely important. I have a lot of thoughts about this one verse of scripture as we kick off. It says this Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, this prompts me to ask you, do you have a place that you pray? Quiet. Do you have a place that you pray? How many of you guys remember the message I gave called get to the tent? You remember that? Get to the tent. Right? I encouraged us as a church to have a place that you go to every single day to commune with God in prayer. Not only should we have a place, but we should also have a time. We should set a date with God, and that date should be immovable. We should say every day, Holy Spirit, I expect you to meet me here. I call my place my prayer chair. It's just a chair in my living room where I go in the morning with a cup of coffee. That's revival in a cup. A cup of coffee. I usually have my Bible either physically or on an iPad. And I commune with the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of my day. And you know what I've noticed? is that by choosing a place and a time to pray and to commune with God, so often when I get to my prayer chair, I find that the Holy Spirit is already there waiting for me. Anybody else, you know what I'm talking about. It's not you getting there and saying, okay, let me get my thoughts together and invite the Holy Spirit. It's you getting there and the Holy Spirit's already sitting there like I cannot wait to spend time with you. I've been waiting for you to wake up. I've got so many things to talk to you about. You know what I'm talking about? That's why I believe that we should all have not only a time, but obviously Jesus, at least in this story, had a place. So I want to encourage you. Do you have a place of prayer in your home? Is it your car? Do you have a time of prayer? Is it your commute? Is it when you wake up? I would encourage you, pray early, pray late, and pray all night because that's the way that Jesus prayed. I haven't got to the all night thing yet, but I'm getting there. The Bible goes on to say that he was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, that lets me know that the disciples were eavesdropping on Jesus as he was praying. Have you ever done that before? you ever listened to somebody else pray before? You ever listened to somebody else pray before and you were so inspired by listening to them pray that you began to pray? You said, man, after listening to them pray, I am turned up in the spirit. I've got to find a place of prayer right now. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're in the car and you're listening to a sermon, does anybody else do this? And you start listening to the person preaching, praying, I think this is only me. And before you know it, I turn the sermon off, man. I got my praise music on. I'm shouting in tongues. I'm having revival right there in the car on I-65. Am I the only person who does that? I'm telling you guys, I love having church in the car. You know what I'm saying? You have church in the car. All of a sudden, I got my voice memos out. Now I'm sending prophetic words to people. I'm preaching. I'm telling you, it happens. Some of you guys have been recipients of those words like, hey, I felt the Lord. And this is what happened to the disciples. They were eavesdropping on Jesus praying. And as they were listening to Jesus commune with his heavenly father, they got so inspired by watching him pray that they became hungry for prayer themselves. And this is the thing that I was thinking about this week. And this is what I have been praying about all week long. I've been praying, asking the Lord Jesus to allow me to listen to him pray. You guys think I'm weird? I'm like, Lord Jesus, I ask you to allow me to listen to you pray. So here's what I did this week. I started looking up every single scripture in the gospels of Jesus praying, reading it out loud. And just pretending as though I'm there in person, eavesdropping, listening to him commune with the Father. Because I know, like the disciples, if I will expose myself to the prayer life of Jesus, then I will stir myself up for a greater hunger of prayer. So that's what I've been asking the Lord. Let me listen to you pray. Now, I challenge you. I double-dog dare you this week to go through the Gospels, look up every single scripture of Jesus praying, and read it out loud in your living room. I promise you it will shift the atmosphere. Not, not only do you read his prayers, but you also read his teachings about prayer. Because by exposing ourselves to Christ's teachings about prayer, we become hungrier for prayer. And this is what always happens to me anytime I get around somebody who's praying. I always get hungrier for prayer. And when I'm at home, I don't always get the opportunity to listen to you guys pray. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, help me to listen to Jesus praying. And as I began to, you know, really consider that, I thought maybe I'm being a little bit too mystical. I'm like, okay, am I being a little bit too spiritual, Lord? Is this legal? And then I remembered... What Romans chapter 8, verse 34 said, it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That means right now, present tense, Christ Jesus, the one who resurrected on the third day, is sitting at the right hand of God right now, and he is praying petitions for you. How could you not get out of bed every morning with confidence knowing Jesus has already prayed for me before I woke up. I'm going to have a great day. Somebody is interceding for me. Remember, Kanye said, ain't nobody praying for me. He was wrong about that. Because Jesus is praying for us. Jesus right now is praying for you. And so what I have been asking the Holy Spirit all week is, let me listen to Jesus interceding on my behalf before your throne, because I know if I can listen in on those prayers, I will be so stirred up to pray myself, I will never have a problem when it comes to hunger for the prayer closet. I want to be a hungry prayer warrior. Anybody else in here? I mean, I just want to be hungrier. And and if it really does mean, you know, to be Christ-like is to be a Christian, then when we say I want to be more like Jesus, what we're confessing is I want to pray more. I want to pray better. I want to commune more often. I want to hear from my heavenly father every single day. And I want to listen and watch what the heavenly father is, you know, what my heavenly father is doing so I can do that. Because that's what Jesus said. He got all of his instructions from the prayer closet. What if we just copied and pasted Jesus' behavior and got all of our instructions for life from the prayer closet? What if the only thing that we did was we said what we heard the Father speak and we did what we saw the Father doing? How much would our lifestyles change? I mean, your lifestyle is completely dependent upon your life of prayer. What you get in that secret place will alter everything you do outside of it and you have to know that. If you are dissatisfied with your lifestyle, what you're telling me is you're dissatisfied with your prayer life. Because I promise you, if you will get exposed to what Jesus is praying, and if you will stand before the throne of grace boldly and with confidence, listening to what God has to speak to you in the secret place, you will receive instructions for how you are to live in the public space. And I promise you, your life gets a whole lot better when you live in accordance with the instructions you get from him in prayer. I promise you that. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what he said that he does. And the thing I've also noticed about Luke chapter 11, verse one, is something that the disciples ask of Jesus, you can put it back up, which was, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I can't think of a better person to teach me to pray than Jesus himself. Anybody else? That's who I wanna learn from, right? And he said, I want you to teach me to pray, Lord, in the same way that John taught his disciples to pray. And that right there, It dawned on me this week, I thought, this is a benchmark of Messianic ministry, is that you actually teach the saints how to pray. And all of a sudden, I'm gripped with the severity of this sermon series that we're in right now, because I know of no other more essential spiritual subject that is neglected in the New World Modern Church trainings like the subject of prayer, if we teach you to study, that's great, but first we need to teach you to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to teach you to do ministry. Well, first we need to teach you to pray to do ministry unto the Lord. I'm going to teach you how to live a, you know, a, a principled life. Well, that's wonderful, but first you need to teach me how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to be a good person. That's awesome. I want to know how to be a good person, but before you teach me to be a good person, I need you to teach me how to pray. And this was something that Jesus took very seriously when it came to his training program for his disciples. But unfortunately, I don't see the modern church taking the training of prayer very seriously when it comes to our church trainings. Are you with me? So I'm like, Lord, help me, help us learn how to pray. Because I know that if we get a praying church, we'll have a church that you love to be a part of. How do we know that? Because Jesus said whenever he was cleaning house in the temple, he said, he he recited something which was from the prophets. He said, if if anything else, I'm paraphrasing, my house is going to be a house of, right? That means we as the saints, we have to be prayerful, meaning we have to be full of prayer. If we're going to be a church that Jesus accepts and celebrates, we have to be a church filled with praying saints, That's absolutely essential, and yet we neglect this training all the time. But this is actually a benchmark of messianic ministry. How do we know that? Because this is Jesus' model. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, just like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Therefore, I'm now aware of a great responsibility upon my shoulders as a pastor, which is I have to teach you to pray. And I'm learning too. I'm learning with you. I don't have it figured out. I don't always pray every time I know that I should, but I'm learning with you. And I know it is a responsibility that I have to take seriously, which is to teach you to pray. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth said this. I've quoted it all, uh, I quoted it wrongly last week, but I've quoted it kind of the last three weeks. Smith Wigglesworth said, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Isn't that good? So let me, before I go to Matthew 6, let me revisit what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21. Whenever he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, he's reciting scripture. He's proclaiming truth, which is awesome. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I don't think that there is any Christian in the room that would argue with the point that Christians are supposed to pray right? But Jesus also simultaneously offered a rebuke. And I think this rebuke is just as valid in 2023 as it was back then. He said, but instead of being a house that is filled with people that pray, you have turned my house into a den of robbers. That's a crazy rebuke if you really think about it, because what Jesus is saying is you're not doing what's a priority to me. Instead, you're doing something else, which is you've turned the church into a den of robbers. I looked that up in the Greek because I'm like, that's a fancy rebuke right there. A den of robbers, you know. A den is a hideout and a robber is a bandit. So I'm like, okay, Jesus is telling the priest of his day, instead of being a church that is passionate about prayer, you've become a marketplace that is actually a hideout for bandits, I'm like, hold on, wait just a minute. I'm looking at 2023 and I've been in full-time vocational ministry for almost 20 years. I, I travel as an itinerant every now and then, but I really love you know, being a pastor more, dedicating babies and marrying people and so on and so forth. But I've been exposed to a lot of church practices. And as a result, I'm looking and listening to the words of Jesus and I'm like, hold on, wait just a minute. Maybe we're not a house of prayer in the way that Jesus has designed us to be. Maybe we are a hideout for bandits. Because how often do we look at the current church landscape and not see a praying church, but we see a marketplace? And we're like, oh, hold on, wait. Maybe this is a hideout for bandits. And as I was meditating on this this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit was revealing to me, that's right, whenever preachers value getting paid more than praying, then they actually turn the church into something God never intends it to be. It's no longer a house of prayer, it becomes a a place of commercial business. So if you aspire to be in ministry, you don't need to concern yourself with a paying ministry, you need to concern yourself with a praying ministry. Because whenever we make ministry more about getting paid Then we do about praying, then we actually turn the house of God, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a hideout for bandits. So if I care more about my pay than I do my prayer life, then I'm engaging bandit behavior. (laughs) And and, and the Lord was pretty clear, shall any man rob God? Nope. Good luck, not going to happen, dude. And so I feel challenged by this. I'm like, okay, Jesus, if this is what you want us to be and this is what you want us to do and you've designed church leadership with messianic ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for prayer, for communion with the heavenly father, uh, with our heavenly father, then obviously we want to do that. Do you want to do that? I want to do that. Do you want to do that? Well, then it's important that we take prayer with a certain measure of severity, because I think for a lot of us, and I say a lot of us because a lot of us grew up charismatic Pentecostal, or you became that and you've been exposed to that, we see prayer as fun, and it is. It is. Prayer is awesome. Let me tell you, there ain't no high like the most high. Before I got saved, I, I tried every drug, and I can testify, ain't no high like the most high. I'm telling you the truth. I have had better experiences in the presence of God than I ever did on any drugs in the club. 1030 is filled with saints. Mm -hmm. Filled with saints. People are like, wow. I don't know where this is going. But I'm telling you the truth, man. The experiences that I have had in the glory of God have been so much better than anything I ever experienced that in the world. So much better. So, yes, prayer is fun. Having encounters is entertaining. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's exciting. It is all of those things. But prayer is not only fun, prayer has also got to be serious. It's got to be serious because if we don't, if we only see it as fun, we'll see it as an option. And I want a little entertainment. I think I'll go to church this weekend. I need an encounter. I think I'll go to church on Sunday, right? Like we look at it like that, but we cannot just see prayer as fun for us. We have to see prayer as serious and not only for the world in here, but also for the world out here. Because the statement I want to make to you, church, is this, prayerlessness costs you. Prayerlessness costs you. It costs you internally, and it costs your world externally. We just dedicated babies. If you're a parent in the room, hear this. Prayerlessness costs your family. I know that's an uncomfortable truth, but do we truly believe that things change when we pray? I hope you do. We, we, we read the scripture last, last week. The prayers of a righteous person are two things. They are powerful Hallelujah. And thank God I don't make myself righteous. I'm not righteous because I've been on my best behavior. I'm righteous by the blood of Jesus. So I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that I'm accepted not on the basis of my own merit, but on the basis of the pure and the spotless blood of the Lamb, Christ Jesus. So I can say I'm righteous because of what he did, not because of who I am. And because I'm righteous, when I pray, my prayers are two things. They are powerful, and the Bible says they are also effective. That means they accomplish a lot. The title of the message today is The Power to Shape Your World or something like that. What is it? The World Shaping Power Prayer. That's what it is. I forgot. Got excited. I forgot. Sounds great. Sometimes when I do the titles, I just try to make them like, kind of memorable, and I forget them the world-shaping power of prayer. Come on, Christians in the room. Do you believe that your prayers have the power to shape the world? Do you believe that? I wanna convince you of it. I wanna convince you of it because prayer makes a difference. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. I can tell you, I can I can testify of countless occasions that something was going against the grain of the will of God in my life. I discerned it, I knew it, and I went into a place of prayer and I said, God, what is it that you would have me pray? Because I want the will of God that exists in heaven to come through my spirit and out of my mouth so I can release this prayer into the atmosphere and see transformation because I know I'm a righteous person because of what you did. And when I pray, it is effective effective. And it is powerful. We're going to pray. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, I believe that. Do you believe that? And I, I, could, I could tell you guys' testimonies. One just popped into my head now. I probably don't have time to go into it, but I will. Uh, but I will. Praise God. I got, a, I got a passage to get to in a minute. I still ain't there. Y'all ain't getting out of here till 2. Chris, I hope we make the football draft. I'm just kidding. You see, my, my wife rebuked me. <laughs> Lyle. I always get the last word with my wife. Yes, honey. That's usually the last words. Yes, honey. It's usually the last words. Do so you believe that? That your prayers shaped the world? I can tell you of a moment, uh, at least one time when I, when I remember that happening. It, it was when uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child, our daughter, Jeremiah Marie Rose. Now, whenever we were it's funny how couples say we were pregnant. I mean, my wife was pregnant. I I wasn't pregnant. I didn't even do any real work, you know, so praise God. But I don't know why men say that. We were pregnant. Hold on, wait, bro, what? Okay. So my wife was pregnant. Let me get that straight. My wife is pregnant. She's having a hard time because uh, Remy is in the womb and she's She's mispositioned, all right? Something they call Frank Breach. Women, you guys know all about it. It's when they're not in the right position, upside down of the way they should be with their feet pushed straight to their face. And there is no way for the baby to be born in that position because it's very dangerous for the child and very dangerous for the mother. So all the moms in here are like, yeah, 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 I already know about this. Get to where you're going. All the guys in here, I just thoroughly educated you. So that's what's happening, all right, for our child. So we start trying everything. I mean, we go to the chiropractor. The chiropractor starts to adjust my wife. He says, listen, this is what you got to do. You got to go get this incense or something. I don't know if it's actually incense or some other kind of herbal supplement, and you got to burn it. And once. You light it on fire, you blow it out, and the smoke starts to go up, and then you do little things like this around her toes. What? <laughs> I'm like, hold on, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, that's what you do. Oh, well, bro, I mean, if that's what you want me to do, I guess I'll try it. You know. So she, we're we're in there, you know, in the bathroom at night. She's got her feet all propped up. I'm. Gonna, You know, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm like, I think this is, is it working? Do you feel the baby turning? Is she turning? You know, I was like, I'm I'm waiting on some, you know, sort of manifestation of the miraculous with this incense. It's like some Christians with sage and stuff. I'm going to cleanse my home of the dark spirits. You're inviting them with that garbage don't 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 mess with that garbage maybe I was maybe that was the problem I don't know I prayed over the incense you know I'm like if Lord if there's something I ain't supposed to be doing I just want this baby to flip so we go back to the doctor like man sorry bad news baby's not flipped and we had already put The full payment down on this birthing center, it was like a natural birthing center that's really cute. It's kind of like a boutique uh, birthing center, which I don't know how you have a, a, a boutique birthing center, but this was that, all right? It's like a hotel. They had, like, hot tubs in there and, like... I don't know man like the comforters are from Gucci or something because it's so expensive but insurance doesn't cover any of it so we had already paid for all of it and we were pretty much broke at the time and so they told us listen unfortunately uh, if the baby doesn't flip over we're going to keep trying but you're going to have to be transferred to the hospital and so you're going to lose all the money and everything you've already put down and see we were poor and so we didn't have the right coverage at the time and so it was going to be on us in order to pay for the birth of the baby so I'm thinking I'm about to go into debt, like $40,000. On top of that, my kid could die. My wife could die. I mean, they're giving me the worst report ever. It's like looking up, you know, like on WebMD when you have a hangnail, like you're definitely dead. Right. And so I'm like, all right, everybody's going to die. Like I've got to prepare, you know, I'm going to lose my daughter. I'm going to lose my wife. Like this is not right. I got the incense going. I'm, you know, I'm doing the stuff. I'm, I'm praying. I'm, you know, I'm so I'm like, okay, Lord, we obviously, we need to have something shift. And, you know, I wasn't really like getting after it in prayer per se. I was just, you know, doing the polite thing. Like, Lord, come on, do it, do it, Lord, hallelujah. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Amen. She's going to flip, hallelujah. You know, you're doing the affirmation thing, amen. Amen. And we went back three times. And on the last time, the doctor said, man, I'm so sorry. I can't give you any good news. There's been no movement with your daughter. It's a definite transfer. You're going to have to t- go to the hospital, get a C-section. This ain't going to work. The baby's in danger. Your wife's in danger. It's really wrong. It's not good at all. I'm sorry to tell you, we can't do the baby here. Uh, you're losing all this money. You, about, you know, what I mean, I was like, I'm just hearing like, all the money. Uh, okay, all right. So we go home, and we don't really say anything on the way home. I'm sad. My wife's sad. I'm like, all right, sit down. I'm going to the church be back when I get back (laughs) so I go up to the church by myself over at 900 I'm just pacing around I'm like Lord whatever you need I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to throw down in the spirit. I'm ready to engage in spiritual warfare, whatever it's gonna take for this baby to flip. And then and, and all of a sudden, you know, I feel that faith start to rise up after you've been, you know, praying for a little bit and you start to understand and discern, okay, this is the will of God. It ain't the will of God for this baby to be born in danger. The will of God is for this baby to be born healthy. The will of God is for her mother to deliver this baby in a healthy way. The will of God is not for me to go into debt $40,000 in over my ears. The will of God is for us to come out of this thing with a testimony the will of God I start to realize okay this is the will of God all right and I'm starting to pray I'm starting to pray and then the Lord speaks to me said now it's time to fast you're going to pray and you're going to fast now one of the things that I've noticed about uh, growing in the anointing because I have a lot of young people especially LSM shout out to, to the students you know they ask how do you how do you get more anointed you know what I always tell them you pray You know what I tell them as well, you fast. But something I discovered this week is there is a third component to growing in the power of God. You wanna know what it is? Overcoming temptation. Because whenever Jesus went out into the wilderness, he prayed, he fasted, but the last thing that he did before he returned in the power of God was he resisted and he overcame temptation. Listen, if you wanna get anointed in this place, I want you to know that you do have to pray and you do have to push away the plate. But the other thing that you've got to do if you want to be anointed with the oil of God is when temptation comes knocking, you have to say, access denied. I have no interest in accepting the invite. I'm going to overcome this. So the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, it's time to fast. Brought me to the passage about Elijah. Eat and be strengthened. I went and got a taco and I declared a fast. It's true. That really happened. And I said, I'm gonna be fasting until something happens. On the 10th day, we went back. No, no food for 10 days. We were praying every day for 10 days. And on the 10th day, I thought, Lord, I hope to God something happens because I'm ready to eat. You know, we went back, they did all the scans. They said, man, we got to tell you, we did not expect anything to change with your situation, but we got good news for you. Baby's completely flipped. Baby's the right side up. Baby's everywhere the baby needs to be. Uh, You're okay, ma'am. Baby's going to be okay. Everything you've already paid for, it's all good. You ain't going to go into debt. Everything's great. I said, praise God, I'm about to eat. You know, and then the Holy Spirit tapped on my shoulder and said, no, you ain't. You're going to keep fasting until this baby is born healthy because you need to be fasting when this baby comes forth because it's going to be a testimony to her about the type of life that I've called her into. And you think you've seen some consecrated, dedicated saints? You think you've seen some women of God that are fully given over to God? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet till you see your daughter grow up, so you keep fasting. You fast whenever she's born. You need to be fasted when she comes out. On day 12, baby came out. I was drinking coconut water. Hurry up. <laughs> baby was born. I stayed fasting. Actually, I think I went like 12 or 14 days. I can't remember. Sarah was there. Sarah moved. Sarah came over to see the baby, and I said, I feel like the Lord's released me. I'm going to Chick fil A. Hallelujah. That's revival. <laughs> Man, I pulled up into that Chick fil A different. Only by the blood. What you want, sir? Everything. <laughs> Double it. Amen. Hallelujah. Why, why do I share this with you? Here's why I'm sharing this with you. I know I'm taking a bunch of time and we got keys up and I got points to make, but some of them are going to be embedded within the testimony. And that is this. Prayer changes things. There is a supernatural grace and power that God has given to us as his agents, a tool, which is prayer, to see the change that is in his heart, his will, in the earth and in the atmosphere around us. And that is something that we faithfully pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We never got to Matthew 6. But the whole point of the message today is this. It is our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Hold on, wait just a second. When you pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. We get reminded that our heavenly father is not just our dad, but he is also a king. And because he is a king, and not just any old king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he has a kingdom. He is not the president that we voted into power. He is the king of all kings that we either recognize and acknowledge or we do not. And so we are reminded in that place of prayer, my dad, who is my heavenly father, who's holy, whom I petition that his name be made holy in my life and in my world, he is also a king. He is the king of kings, and I am praying for that kingdom reign. I am praying for that sovereignty to rest upon my life and to rest upon my world. It's the second petition in the Lord's prayer. And then he goes on to say, your will be done on the earth as it is done where? That means there's a place, better said a plane, where the perfect will of God is accomplished all day, every day. Day and night, 24-7, 365. The perfect will of God exists in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God personified is Jesus. The perfect will of God made manifest to humanity is Christ Jesus. Who is spotless and without blemish. Who never sinned. Who fulfilled the perfect will of God from the beginning to the end. The perfect will of God. It flows with vibrancy in the kingdom of heaven. And so when I pray your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, I acknowledge that I live in a place where the perfect will of God is not accomplished all the time. Sometimes we got babies that won't flip. Sometimes we got bad reports from the doctor. Sometimes we live in fear of bankruptcy. Sometimes we've really had it rough, but we recognize that though it is not happening here right now, we know that the perfect will of God is flowing in a different place, and it's where my father reigns as king, and that is the kingdom. So when I pray the Lord's Prayer and I say, Your kingdom come, I'm inviting what? his sovereign reign into my space. When I say your will be done, what am I inviting? I am inviting the will of my heavenly father. I am inviting the will of the king of kings. I am inviting the perfect will of the Lord of lords. I am even inviting the preferred will of my heavenly father and I am saying bring that will here. You know what that means? That means the Lord's prayer is not a nostalgic prayer. The Lord's prayer is a scary prayer. Why is it a scary prayer? It's a courageous prayer. It's a bold prayer because what you are declaring is that who you are in all of your authority and in all of your grandeur and in all of your own personal decision-making capacity that you are willing to subject yourself as a loyal subject to the king of kings and say, my king, I'm in your court now. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. May your kingdom come. If your kingdom shows up, I'm no longer the Lord of my life. You're my Lord. What would you speak to me? Because that's what I'm ready to do. I'm a loyal subject. And not only will I receive your sovereignty as a whole, but I will receive your will very specifically for my situation right now. You with me? Listen, I I don't know that I get asked about anything more than the will of God as a pastor. Truly, people ask me all the time, how do I know the will of God? What's 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 the will of God? And that's what what happens uh, when you pray the Lord's Prayer. You invite the will of God. You invite the will of God. That's why it's a scary prayer. Don't believe me? Ask Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? I'm going to have to go through some hard stuff if this is your will, God. Is there any other way to accomplish your will? Is there any other way? No, there's not, okay, well, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. See, that's why the Lord's Prayer is a serious prayer. It's not a nostalgic prayer. It's not a polite prayer. It's not just a prayer you print out, you know, on papyrus, burn the edges with the lighter, hanging it over your mantle. Nice cute little decoration for people to see when they come over to your house for dinner. No, the Lord's Prayer is a serious prayer filled with declarations and petitions that is marked by your submission to say, God, you are the king of the kingdom. The Lord of Lords, I am your loyal subject and I want your will to be made manifest in my life on the inside and on the outside. I will not allow prayerlessness to cost me. I will not allow prayerlessness to cost my family. I will not allow prayerlessness to cost my church. I will not allow prayerlessness to cost my neighborhood or my university or my place of business or the world in 2023 or the nation of America in the middle of an election cycle. I'm gonna put my prayer in this thing and I'm gonna invite the kingdom of heaven to come And I'm going to invite the will of God to be made manifest. And I'm going to be standing praying because that's what Jesus taught me to do. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for an ignition switch going off in the spirit today, activating us into greater prayer. Father, I pray for hunger to be stirred today. I pray for our ears to be opened in the spirit so that we might listen to Jesus as he intercedes for us, as Romans chapter 8 said. Father, I pray that as we hear the Lord Jesus Christ pray on my behalf, that my heart would be strengthened, that my spirit would be ignited, and that the prayers that please the Lord would begin to come forth from my mouth day and night, night and day, every single day, that there would be no letdown, that in the spirit I would keep my foot on the gas pedal, that I would move forward, that I would not stop, but that I would keep on praying. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that I never doubt the value of prayer after I've prayed. I never doubt the value of prayer after I've prayed. Once I've prayed, I recognize the power of prayer. But the trick of the enemy is to always tell me that my prayers are pointless. But it is after I've prayed, I realize that that's just a temptation that I will not give in to. My prayers are powerful. Your prayers are valuable. Your prayers are powerful. You may be thinking to yourself, oh, I, I'm not really a good prayer. That's for pastors. Listen, not everybody can preach. Not everybody can lead worship, but everybody can pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen and amen. Let's bless the Lord. you, Lord. Tune tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.